This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome into the latest episode of Fish Bites. My name is Danny Martinez, and of course, I am your gracious host. You have clicked on an exciting episode, and if you're listening on SiriusXM, you chose the right time to put it on channel 145, because this is our September special. And it might not be our trade deadline, it might not get the same hoopla as the draft or opening week, but September is unique in the baseball community. Because whether you are a competing playoff chasing team like the Atlanta Braves or a rebuilding team like your Miami Marlins, September tells you something. Number one, it tells you the depth of the organization. And we'll talk about why. And number two, it gives you just the smallest glimpse, the smallest look into the future of what in particular, a rebuilding team might look like moving forward. So our dialogue piece today is really going to look at all the parameters of September. I'm going to give you a list of the possible expanded rosters that the Marlins might look at, some of the call-ups that might have their due in September, get a little taste of the cup of coffee in the big leagues. I'm also going to give you some news on Pablo Lopez, which by the time you hear this on Monday has likely been made public, but good news, he's coming back sooner than you may think. And I'm going to talk about Jose Urania's role within the organization, something that I have been pounding the table for. It seems like my echoes from the top of the mountains have finally been heard in Little Havana as Jose Urania will have a very different role when he comes back. And we're also going to take a look at some of the continued performances of key future pieces, right? September, when it comes to that, will not change drastically a Marlins fan's perspective on the games. This entire year has been about developing future key pieces and and monitoring their progress, so we're going to continue to double down on that. Of course, we're going to end up with our pitching performance of the week, which, you know, hint, hint, there's an all-star involved, and we're going to talk about a lot of hitting. When you score 19 runs, on a quote-unquote competing Phillies team, you're going to have a lot of individuals that had a solid week of performance. So by far, the longest list of nominations and nominees that I have for you. But let's kick off and let's start off with our September special. The, the question really here posed by one of the listeners was, you know, the dog days of summer are over. What am I looking for in September? I have the answers. Uh, number one, the first thing you're looking for, and it's the most immediate one, is, is expanded rosters. This is the last year that they have this uh, expanded roster system in play. But we're going to talk about the rules for this year, right? Because next year, they're going to limit it to two or three spots a team. Uh, all of the teams will have the same universal spots that they can fill out. But that's for next year. That's for future Danny to talk about. Current Danny gets to explain just the expanded rosters, and it's pretty simple to explain. On August 31st, you have a 40-man roster. Everyone knows that you always have a 40-man roster throughout the year, but you can only choose 25 of those 40 to be your active roster that can play on any given day. September 1st comes, and everything changes, because whoever was on your 40-man roster on August 31st can all of a sudden be on your active roster. In theory, the Marlins can roll out 40 men to play on September 1st, on September 2nd, on September 3rd. The issue with this is 
really competitive balance here. I recall, and I was on uh, the podcast with UK Miami Marlins. You should go follow them on Twitter and listen to their podcast. It's found almost anywhere that you can find podcasts. And I expressed that I recall seeing a Marlins game where, for whatever reason, the Marlins did not want to expand their roster. So they had 25 players after September 1st playing. But they were playing someone in the NL East. I don't remember who it is off the top of my head who had called up around 10 or 15 guys. So they had an almost 40 roster that they were competing against with 12 15 16 arms in the pen and the marlins were unable to combat that they were stuck with 25 now the reason that mlb does this and has done it up until this year is because when you are playing in a playoff chase you need as many healthy arms as you can and a good example of you know fatigue is actually with the marlins they've used their pen a lot a lot donnie likes going to the pen and i'm assuming the gm likes saving some of the young arms innings as well but by this time you need reinforcements and that's why the 40-man roster expands now once again this will be done with after next year after this year as next year there will only be two three spots they'll be given to each team but for this year we get to be creative for this year, we get to discuss all of the options on the 40-man at the moment as we speak right now as you're listening to me in your car or wherever you might be. That can be called up, and I'm going to start with what would be the more exciting options. Uh, let me be honest with you right away. I'm not sure any of these guys are going to get called up. If I was a betting man, I would say that only one or two of these individuals would get called up, and even then, I would take the under. But we're going to start right at the top because that's what you want to listen to. Listen, Jesus Sanchez. Jesus Sanchez. If you somehow got to see him at Marlins Park in 2019, it would be one of the most exciting debuts that we have ever seen. I mean, I personally, if you listen to Earning Their Stripes, know you know how I feel about Jesus Sanchez. Jesus Sanchez is 21 years of age. He is an elite hitting prospect. He has a good power, slightly above average, and he has good defense. Good arm, good glove. He's okay with the wheels. This is someone who is going to be a core piece, middle of the lineup bat for your Miami Marlins. We can't say that about every prospect. I'm going to say it about this one. If he somehow got added to the active roster with the expanded rosters, it would be phenomenal. But I don't want to play heartbreaker. I doubt it's going to happen. Number one, I don't think it would have happened even prior to his injury. But number two, he got injured. <laughs> You know, when, when everyone started getting excited, because unfortunately Brian Anderson got hurt in the middle of the game, and it just coincidentally happened that Jesus Sanchez was pulled from AAA at that time, which for what it's worth, a 21-year-old in AAA should tell you everything you know you need to know about Jesus Sanchez. He gets pulled around that time, and while everyone is making a big fuss about it, uh, I was already aware that that was not going to be the case, that unfortunately it was something else, and it was not the something that we were excited about. He was hurt. It was a hamstring situation. We don't know the severity of it. I believe that Craig Mish was the first one to publicly put that out. Uh, but Jesus Sanchez was likely never going to be called up after this hamstring issue. Regardless of how exciting that fantasy would be, I doubt that we see it. The second most exciting option that the Marlins have on the 40-man who could be called up theoretically is Monte Harrison. Monte Harrison is who I believe will eventually, along with Isan Diaz, really be the cornerstone of that Yelich deal. And I know that as soon as I say that, you roll your eyes. Listen, I get it. I, I, fall, I fall victim to always bringing up Yelich when we're talking about these guys as well. But it's something that we probably should stop doing less. Because the reality is, is that Monte Harrison and Isan Diaz are their own player. Isan Diaz is already doing much better than the first few panics uh, that, that individuals had. And we'll talk about those numbers in a second as well. Uh, but Monte Harrison is going to be special. He showed that last year. He improved upon that this year. And if it were not for the injury concerns, I believe Monte honestly would already be donning a number one or, or whatever number he wants or three or six, whatever he wants, up at the major league level. I guess Isan's a number one. So, you know, a number three or number six up at the major league level because of his talent, because of his ability. Let's not forget he was an all-star this year. However, he got hurt. The good news here, just in case you haven't heard this quite yet, is that he's rehabbing already. He actually had a start today, got on base, did was looking good, was looking good. He's not at, in New Orleans. He's rehabbing, I believe, either in Jupiter or Jacksonville. This is good to see. Now, prior to that news... Prior to him rehabbing, I would have told you the chances of seeing him in September is zero. 
because you don't rush a 23-year-old who's coming off of either a wrist injury, a hand injury, a leg injury. You just don't do it. However, now it's not even September yet. It's late August and he's already rehabbing. If he really shows that he's okay, if he then gets, you know, not promoted, but sent back to where he belongs, which is New Orleans, at age 23, and you see that that bat picks up right where it left off at an all-star caliber level, why not? Why not? I mean, it would by far be the most exciting option because I don't believe Jesus Sanchez is a possibility at all, really. Uh, it would be the most exciting option to see Monte Harrison up in the big leagues, even if it's, like I said, for a little taste and a little cup of coffee, even if it's one week after the New Orleans season's about to wrap up. Monte Harrison can play at the big league level with that glove, with that defense, with the speed. He has pop. We're always going to have questions about his big swing. But I think it would be something worth looking at. However, going to be heartbreaker again. I don't think that they rush him. Listen, the Marlins have been very patient with their hitters recently. Not This is something that they were not patient with last year. But this year they've been patient. I'm not quite certain that they would rush him, particularly when we understand that he's coming off of an injury. So yes, Monte Harrison would be the second most exciting option. Maybe even the first, quite frankly. But unlikely. Now, the last three are prospects that I do believe could get a call. And, and they're exciting. I mean, listen, yes, they're exciting in a different way than top prospects like Jesus Sanchez and Monte Harrison. But George Guzman would be exciting to go see at Marlins Park. Mags Sierra, that speed, if he suddenly can generalize what he's doing at the minor league level to the major league level, you're talking about someone who, at the very least, can be a solid fourth outfielder with elite glove and elite base running skills. And, and then Robert Duggar. You know, Robert Duggar is someone who goes under, I guess we could say, under the, under the, uh, the waves that are crashing upon this Marlins farm system of the Trevor Rogers and the Braxton Garrett and the Edward Cabreras and the Sixto Sanchez and the Nick Neiderts. But Robert Duggar is someone who I can see coming up and being a consistent four or five. He made that spot start in the doubleheader, I believe, against the Mets uh, earlier in the season, not too long ago. And he didn't look necessarily severely overmatched. Sure, he didn't light anyone on fire, but he held his own. I think that if the Marlins go with a six-man rotation, he should be someone that would be called up in September and let him let him go. Let him show you what he can do, and let's see if he can generalize any kind of success in September into spring training, and you never know, that might be your four or five for next year. Now, the other two was George Guzman. George Guzman, if you heard the last episode of Running Their Stripes, was my under-the-radar guy because he's putting up numbers comparable to individuals that are top 100 fringe prospects, like a Trevor Rogers like a Braxton Garrett, the innings, the strikeouts, the walks plus hits per innings pitch, these are all comparable to two elite prospects who the Marlins have drafted in the first round back-to-back -back years in Trevor Rogers and Braxton Garrett. The difference there is the, the control. Because you know what? Rogers and, and Garrett aren't throwing 100 miles an hour. They're, they're not trying to throw wipeout breaking speed pitches. So when you're not trying to handle that, I guess Rodgers really does have, both of them have a heck of a curveball. So I take that back. But not a lot of quick movement in their pitches. Yeah, you have to kind of develop a little bit. George Guzman's only 23. Let's see what he becomes. And quite frankly, if we're trying to look at the lists of most exciting and then most probable, uh, George Guzman has the likeliest chance of being the highest excited on that list and the one that gets picked. So I would be not overly surprised if we see George Guzman, even if it's just a few relief outings. Now, do I think they continue to develop him as a starter? Absolutely. I think that they should do that. But remember that Sandy Alcantara had a very similar makeup and a very similar development where the Cardinals brought Sandy up the year before they actually traded him in that following offseason as a pen arm just to get him a taste of the big leagues of, you know, facing opposing big league hitters. And then that was really his benchmark where after that, you know, come get your active roster spot because at spring training, you can win this. I think the same thing can happen with George Guzman this year. He is the likeliest of the most exciting to get called up. Swing and a miss, strike three. 13 strikeouts for George Guzman in six no-hit innings against Mississippi. What an effort by the Miami Marlins' number 17 prospect. He has been unhittable. But what would Mr. Danny GM really do? 
Well, at the end of the day, and this will be boring for you guys, I wouldn't rush any of these. I wouldn't rush any of them. If they deserve it, then they get the call, right? Monte Harrison, since spring training of this year, has been saying, listen, I'm here. I belong here. I'm going to fight for this. If he comes back from his rehab, lights the world on fire, the New Orleans season is over, and he's just sitting there, call him up. Same with Guzman. Same with anybody else. But from a conservative standpoint, I would simply just go with Robert Duggar, go six-man rotation. He'd be the first person I'd call up. You know, no, no disrespect to Hector Noesi, but... Be honest with yourself. If you're listening to this, you tell me you tune in every single time and you stick every single time for Hector Noisy? I don't I don't think so. If I'm being honest, you should, because just because Hector Noisy is on the mound doesn't mean that you don't get to see Isan Diaz and the other individuals. But, you know, it's not a Pablo Lopez. It's not a Caleb Smith. It's not a Sandia Contrera. If you bring up Robert Duggar, I think more people not only would tune in, but it's just a little bit of excitement. So that's the first thing I would do. The second thing I would do is I would finally bring in the reinforcements for the pen. Take advantage of the expanded roster. Donnie has utilized, to put it nicely, this pen over and over again. Give them a break. Call up, you know, a Kinley and Keller for good and keep them up there. Call up your relief options. Even if you have to put them on the 40, that's probably not going to happen. But any relief option you have on the 40, like a Keller and like a Kenley, call them up, utilize them, give some rest to the young and veteran arms that you have at the big league level who has been used and maybe overused. And then lastly, for a little bit of excitement, you know what? I do think I would call up Sierra and even possibly Guzman. I think Sierra... You know, I, I've been preaching from the beginning, especially on earning their stripes, to be patient with him. The Cardinals rushed him. The Marlins rushed him. Then the Marlins finally reassessed him and did the right thing by sticking him in double A this year and then promoting him to triple A when he was ready. I think I'd be okay with him calling up a nice, solid, defensive, uh, just speedster in the outfield. And then maybe Guzman. Uh, maybe that's just me being... A little bit more of a fan, but I would be excited for George Guzman. Really, I would be excited to go see him. So those would be the individuals I would call up. Robert Duggar, a few pen pieces like Keller and Kenley, and then Magnera Sierra and George Guzman. Would love to see Jesus Sanchez. Would love to see Monte Harrison, but I don't think it really happens. The second thing to look forward to in September is the news that Pablo Lopez is coming back. Again, it's what's tough about recording these. Right now, this is juicy, fun content that I get to break to you. By tomorrow, I'm sure everyone has discussed this. Pablo Lopez will be starting. He is the starter against the Reds on Monday. And he's good. I've discussed this. I mean, you know this. You know this from me. I love myself some Pablo Lopez. And I love this story. I love this story. The fact that he's going to pitch again. Not even in September, in August. I would have never thought that would be the case. Him and I sometimes uh, send messages back and forth uh, on, on Twitter through private messages. And I, I let him know, you know, we're rooting for you. I hope you're doing well. When the injury came out, I sent him one. I sent him one. I just wanted to let him know that, you know, I was praying for him, that I was hoping things were well. And, and if I'm being quite honest, I wasn't very optimistic. Of course, I wasn't my message to him, but to myself that I would see him pitch again this year. I thought he was up for the year. I was wrong. He's back. And there are three things that I would want you to look for. One, and actually there are three C's. I'm going to keep it easy for you. I'm going to keep it easy for you. One, comfort. Uh, you know, you could apply this to anyone. I think Pablo is going to be special. I think Pablo is going to be a one, a two, or a three for the Marlins moving forward. His fielding independent, independent pitching numbers, his K per nine, his home runs per nine. I mean, everything shows you that this guy can be a big time uh, focal point of the Marlins staff moving forward. Oh, and by the way, he's 23, 23. He is 23. The guys we were just talking about, George Guzman and Robert Duggar, who we were saying, oh, maybe they might get called up. Monte Harrison, oh, they might get called up, but we don't need to rush them. They're all 23 as well. But Pablo Lopez is 23 and has already done it. He's already shoved at the major league level. He's going to be special. So the three C's. I start off with comfort. You know, comfort can be applied to everyone. That's a lazy one on my end. Anyone that's coming off of an injury, comfort is important. But just because it could be applied to anyone doesn't mean that we don't apply it to Pablo. He's not the exception. You want to see what he looks like on the mound and in the dugout. Do you remember pre-injury Pablo? Smiling all the time. Always 
full of composure, never let the game get to himself. I want to make sure that there isn't anything physically going on with him that takes away from that first C, from that comfort, from that individual that we always saw in Pablo Day. I want to make sure that his comfort is the same way it was pre-injury. The second C is control. You know, control is a big part of everyone's game, again, but it's a significant part of Pablo's. The same way that we always discuss the comparison of Sandy Alcantara, his stuff, his velocity, versus Jordan Yamamoto. Sandy can get away sometimes without having control because guess what? He throws 99, and good luck trying to tee that up. It's why he he's one of the leaders in Major League Baseball in hard hits against. People just don't barrel up balls against him. It's why he's been so successful, and we're going to talk about him later on. Yamamoto, on the other hand, we've seen some of the inconsistencies because if his command is not there, guess what? It's a lot easier to tee up a 91 fastball, mile per hour fastball, without a lot of movement than it is Sandy's coming in at 97. And the movement looks like a little hummingbird coming at you. There's a difference there. This is applied, although to a lesser severity, with Pablo. Pablo's not throwing 99 past you. Pablo's not throwing 97 past you. Pablo, when he gets amped up, maybe touches 96. This is something to understand with him. Control needs to be where it needs to be at. And quite frankly, a lot of individuals kind of freaked out because the control wasn't there during his rehab starts. Now, I said it even on this podcast. I believe I said it on the UK podcast as well. I do not worry about veteran pitchers, regardless of the age. Pablo knows what he's doing. He's a big leaguer. In rehab starts, they're working on very unique, specific things. They're working on even mechanics, on getting their feeling back on certain pitches. So I didn't worry about the command, but it is still something to look at. Control. So first, comfort. Second, control. Third is complete. The question here is, is there any part of post-injury Pablo that does not match up with pre-injury Pablo? Is the velocity down? Is the control an issue? How about this? Is the velocity maintained after inning number three? These are all things that you want to ask yourself as a fan. Listen, Mel Stoudemire, the coach, the pitching coach, is looking at a hundred other different things, things that you and I don't know anything about. But as a fan, these are the three C's that you can look at when someone's coming back from an injury, especially with Pablo. Comfort, control, and complete I want to make sure that that fastball has the same life in the sixth inning on September, whenever, whenever he pitches, than it did in July or in March or in April. I want to make sure, not in July, but in March or in April, I want to make sure he's the same pitcher, that he's complete, that we're not looking at a partial version of Pablo Lopez. I'm not necessarily concerned about the performance. You recognize there that the acronym was not CCCP, with the P being the performance. No, it's just those three. That's all I care about with Pablo in September. If his performance isn't there, so be it. There's someone coming back again at age 23 from rehab, from an injury. They have the offseason to figure that out. Comfort. Control. Complete. I have, for quite some time now as we step away from Pablo Lopez, been pounding the table and at the mountain top on my soapbox, which adds a few inches to my height, yelling that Jose Urania needs to be in the pen or needs to be a closer. Those who love Jose Urania would come back at me and say, you just don't want him to be in the rotation. You are acting like this is a demotion. You are saying that he's not worthy. None of it. I think Jose Urania could be in the rotation. I think Jose Urania on his best day could be a three, maybe a four or five down the road. But what I want from Jose Urania is to put him in the best position possible. And let me tell you something from the bottom of my heart. It's not just me who thinks this. I've been at spring training talking to uh, a scout, <laughs> an opposing team scout, actually. I'm not sure if he knew that I was with the Mars or not, but nonetheless, talking about the fact that they could view Jose Urania as, uh, as a closer thinking about even bringing him on as a closer, as a pen arm. Why? Because when you suddenly take 96, 97 mile per hour fastball, a lot of movement, sometimes he doesn't even know where it's going, and you take the secondaries that he has been able to master as he's matured as a pitcher, and you put it for three opposing hitters, good freaking luck. Good luck. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be good. Now, Can he walk a storm and create an issue? Absolutely. Get ready for some heart palpitations. When was the last time that we had a a really risky closer? I guess all the time is really the answer. 
But I always go back to the closer man. I'm forgetting his name. That was like he he had, he committed fraud with his name and his real name. Oviedo, I think, wasn't really his name. Whatever the case was, I remember him in particular. Get ready for those palpitations with the Marlins again. If Jose Ignorator is a closer, but guess what? He could be dominant. He could be dominant. It's something I've been saying for a while, and it seems like they finally listened. Craig Miss, Joe Fasar are always the people that I go to, and they are also reporting the same things that I've been saying. Jose Urena will come back, and he will come back as either a closer, I believe Donnie said, or as a back piece of the bullpen. Really, the writing was on the wall before Donnie even confirmed it. All of his rehab starts. Go look go look back at them. Make sure I'm not lying. So you have been one inning. <laughs> it's been one inning. He's going to come back in that type of fashion, and it is the best place for him because, make no mistake, with this move, Urania goes from a wild back-end starter with very little trade value to someone who could be a massive trade ship this next season at the winter meetings or during the season if he's coming out of the pen and is utilized correctly. The other part of that for the fans to say, oh, here we go, Danny's trading another veteran. No, he is young enough and he could. he's, he's, he's just good enough that he could be a piece of that next competitive Marlins bullpen. Now, we still need to see it, and he still needs to come in September and perform. But what I'm telling you is that all the ingredients are there for you to make a perfect pizza. And that if he comes out, and if he has the showings that we have, that is going to be a five-star pizza. And either the Marlins are going to enjoy it, or they're going to trade it off for a filet mignon. But something is going to happen with this. Because at the end of the day, they have finally identified something in Jose Urania, what a lot of us have seen for a while, and they're finally going to maximize his value. The Marlins have a lot of exciting things that could happen in September, whether it's a Jesus Sanchez or a Monte Harrison, whether it's a Robert Duggar or George Guzman. But two of the exciting pieces is one, the most exciting for me, which is Pablo Lopez coming back. And two, us being able to unravel Jose Urania 2.0 as a closer. I'll add one more thing. For the random fan in baseball, even the diehard fan in baseball, if you're a Marlins fan and you talk to that uh, diehard fan, let's call him John, and you tell John, hey, do you want to know a secret? When the Marlins are competitive again, one, two, three years down the line. They are going to have an incredibly dynamic duo in the bullpen. And it's going to be led by Jose Urania and Ryan Stanek. <laughs> get ready to get laughed at. Because that's what will happen. I'm here to tell you that that could very well be the case. Because with Ryan Stanek, forget his uh, first initial impressions. Ryan Stanek is still the Ryan Stanek that was with the Rays, okay? He has to learn Alfaro. He has to learn Holiday. They have to learn how to better maximize each other the way that the Rays were doing. But nothing has gone away with him. And Jose Urania, this is, again, all just predictions, but really, take it from me, is going to be good in the pen, if not great. You're talking about two guys with filthy movement, with velocity that can melt lava, yeah, I'm sure a scientist would tell me that that's actually not possible, but you get the point coming out of the pen. And that's not including the possibility of a George Guzman possibly being there. Maybe even a Sandy Alcantara, who I don't believe actually ends up in the pen, but many people do because of all the talent coming up. And if not, then a younger guy like an Edward Cabrera. The point being the Marlins pitching is ridiculous and the pen is not going to be an exception to that. Get excited for September. It'll give us some of those answers. The third thing to look into September is what we've been looking at this entire year. It is the continued performances and development of key future pieces. Because listen, at the end of the day, September is exactly what the entire season has been about. It's about watching the future pieces develop with the occasional at-batter game started by someone who is irrelevant to that conversation. All right, when, when again, I'm sorry to keep picking on you, brother. I really am. Hector Noesi comes on and starts a game. You're probably not as excited as when a Pablo Lopez or Caleb Smith or someone of the future does. When a Neil Walker goes up to bat, who's been fantastic, fantastic leader, he's actually performed well on field this year as well, it's a very good signing. When he's up to bat, you're not necessarily as invested as an Isan Diaz because, quite frankly, Neil Walker likely won't be here past the end of this year. He won't be. Hector Noesi won't be. And yet, this is part of the plan. Now, you know, part of this is also dampened by the fact that Brian Anderson got hurt and is likely out for the season. 
uh, it's unfortunate. Number one, because he's he's a leader. Number two, because he's the best player the Marlins have. And number three, because he was posting career highs in almost all meaningful offensive stats. Anything you want to look at. Slugging, OPS, uh, weighted runs created plus, home runs. Uh, you know, he was going to go for 25 plus. His second year in the league, Brian Anderson was going to hit 25 home runs, playing half of his game in Marlins Park. Consider that. So he gets dampened by that, but there's still players to see. Yeah, Isan Diaz, for one, who has started to perform better than those uh, believed after he, you know, after they started panicking about him. Over the last five games, he has just as many walks as he does Ks. Actually, scratch that. He has one more strikeout than he has walks, three to four. He has added a few hits throughout that time, including that huge three-run game-tying homer that brought back the fish from 7-0. It was 7-4 at that time, obviously. And then he, boom, he hits it 7-7. The great game that that was. And all of a sudden, that uh, fantastic fielder that we saw in the minor leagues is back. He, he's back, and he's making slick plays, uh, slick sl- diving grabs and sliding grabs and behind uh, over the back. We're starting to see the Isan Diaz that we saw at the minor leagues with his uh, plate discipline, number one, his plate approach, number two, his hitting for the opposite field, his power, and his defense. That's probably the one guy you're looking at primarily. Diaz, fly ball, right field. Get out of here! A three-run home run for Isan Diaz, and the Marlins are all the way back. We're tied at seven. Well, this young man has a flair for the dramatic. My goodness. But he's not the only one. Listen, Lewis Brinson, for all of his concerns, and for what it's worth, I'm going to plug uh, something Eli wrote because it was fantastic. Eli wrote a uh, piece on fishstripes.com. Make sure and go. You find it. It's Lewis Brinson. It's really uh, it's a dynamic thought of re, uh, reestablishing, reassessing, reimagining what Lewis Brinson's ceiling probably is. And, and the reality is that there's a lot more negative on that piece than it is positive, but I agree with every single word. And even with agreeing with every single word, I'm still going to see him. Because the kid's still 25 years of age. The young man's still 25 years of age and could still be something here. Even if his new ceiling is as a fourth outfielder. It's a mighty fall from when he was traded in a consensus top 5, top 10 outfield in all of baseball. Across all of the sites. But still someone to watch. Then you have a Garrett Cooper. You have a hitting Harold Ramirez. You have the entire pitching staff. Listen, if the Marlins go with this idea that I presented of the six-man rotation, how beautiful would that be? A six-man rotation where you bring up a Robert Duggar, you have a Robert Duggar, a Caleb Smith, a Sandy Alcantara, a Jordan Yamamoto, an Eliezer Hernandez, which had a great performance. Again, he's had a few back-to-back really solid performances. That's exciting. It's exciting to be able to see almost every single time that someone comes up, maybe without the name Noesi, you're excited to see it. And then lastly, you know, the backstop of this franchise, George Alfaro. At this moment, while we are talking right now, while you are listening, as long as you haven't listened a week or a month in advance or later on, he's putting up career highs in batting average, in slugging percentage, in home runs, and he's close to his career high in isolated power, which measures what it sounds like, how much power production you're producing. Now, on the opposite of that, he's in, he's King and striking out entirely too much. That's well documented on on with me. He's not walking enough, also something that's well-documented on with me. And for all of those career bests, home runs and power and slugging and batting average, he really won't survive to continue those career bests if he continues to struggle with his approach. And yet, and yet, he's something you want to monitor. Because the reality is that there's no one coming behind him pounding on the door. Now, we can't say that about everyone. Look, Lewis Brinson is probably very aware of all of the individuals and the massive talent that's coming up behind him. George Raffaro isn't looking over his shoulders. And really, at his age and with the above average to elite defense that he has and that elite arm that he has and the fact that he has very good rapport with the pitching staff, he doesn't have any reason to be looking over his shoulder. Eli Sussman, again, I'm just going to talk about him a lot today, put out the concept of him maybe being a platoon guy. And I don't really disagree. I don't. I think that if the Marlins go and look in the, in the free agency market and try to consider a good platoon situation for Alfie, that they should do that. 
that he has shown enough to be a core piece but that there should be some security blanket here i don't disagree i also just don't think that we can put that ceiling on him quite yet he's putting career highs for a reason the the things that need to change the plate approach is incredibly simple to see right so we've identified what needs to change now will it change yeah it's unlikely but if he just gives me even a low 30s k percentage with the power and defense that he has he's someone that's not going anywhere September really is about keeping an eye on the future. A a future which, if I'm being entirely honest with you, should begin looking much brighter by opening day 2020. Now, much brighter to me does not mean competitive. What much brighter to me means is more wins, a clearer direction, and maybe, maybe staying around 500 or 5 to 10 games for 500, for the entirety of the year. If the Miami Marlins continue producing the farm system that the way that they will, or the way that they have, rather, and the rotation continues being a top 13 rotation in all of baseball at this age, even with the injuries that they've dealt with, and the hitting continues to develop, because Brian Anderson developed this year. George Alfaro, for all of his faults, developed from last year. Harold Ramirez developed. Garrett Cooper developed. Monte Harrison had a great year. If that continues to happen, 2020 is not going to be about losing. 2020 is going to be about winning. And it won't be as much as we want it to be. And it won't be about 500. And it won't be about competing. But it'll give you the glimpse. The glimpse of the future. That glimpse, it starts this September. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The pitching performance of the week, I usually have a few lined up for you, but yeah, that's not the case this week. Look, there's only one guy, and I gave it to you away in the intro because I told you that he's quite the star. He's the all-star because he's the 2019 Marlins all-star, and that's Sandy Alcantara against the dominant Atlanta lineup, only two weeks removed from already seeing them, which again is an advantage to the hitter. He goes seven innings scoreless. Seven strikeouts to only two walks, only allowing three hits. Oh, and remember, he's 23. Oh, and remember, he'll be 24 the entirety of next year. (laughs) By the time that I'm recording this next year, Sandy, who's already an all-star and putting up very good numbers, will still be 24. 2-2 pitch is driven out toward right center, but over Anderson, he's there, he's got it, and Alcantara is out of the inning. Sandy Alcantara retires Acuna, leaving the tying man at first. He's through seven tonight, having allowed just a single unearned run. Hold on to this and remember this, what I'm about to tell you. Sandy has made 25 starts this year. He has completed five innings in its entirety in 23 of them. There have only been two starts where he has not given his Team, five innings pitched. There's only two. And in one of them, he went 4.2. And in the other one, he had awful defense behind him, and his pitching uh, numbers went up. His total pitches went high enough that they had to pull him. Again, 25 starts this year. 23 of them, he's gone five innings pitch or more. That's not, that's you know, not something to laugh at. That's not something to minimize. That's something to say, wow, that's among the top in baseball. Not just the Marlins, not just the NL East, not just the National League in baseball. Over his last six, he's allowed more than three earned runs only once. He has four games started over the last six with two earned runs or less. And over that same span, he's only allowed more than five hits once, and that was only six, and that was against the Twins. That was also the outing that he went 4.2 innings. See, what I'm getting to here is that Sandy's having a good year, and it's not just because of this stretch, which has been very impressive. 
for one of the most humble players in that locker room, and I, I've met him multiple times, he is one of the kindest, most humble, other-centered people that I have ever met in a Marlins jersey. He has gone and showed why those that gave up on a 23-year-old ceiling of an ace are going to be wrong. Now, do I think he still needs more control? Absolutely. And do I think that he needs to develop the big C? C is consistency. To ever actually attain that ceiling of an ace? Absolutely. Even to attain the ceiling of a number two? Absolutely. I'm not here to tell you that that's what's going to happen. There is still a world that Sandy simply doesn't make it. Sandy doesn't make it to his ceiling because he doesn't get that control under wraps. Because he doesn't get the consistency under wraps. But by God, I'm not going to be the person that places a ceiling on a 23-year-old who's gone out and 23 of the 25 starts has given you five innings pitched. This kid, this young man, can be an ace. This young man can be a number two. This young man can be a number three. But for those of you that have given up on the 23-year-old ceiling of an ace, I think you're wrong. I think that at the end of the day, he has the stuff, and he's starting to show the control. The consistency is next, but the NL better watch out, and the Braves have gotten a good taste of that the last two outings, if he ever finds that big C. If he ever finds that consistency, the Marlins not only have Sixto Sanchez, not only have Edward Cabrera, not only have Caleb Smith, not only have Pablo Lopez, but we'll also have a Sandy that's going to be coming to make some trouble. It's exciting. He's finally showing why so many people felt that he was an ace in that Ozuna trade. And I'm so happy for him because it couldn't have happened to a nicer person. The hitters of the week, and then we're going to wrap up. When you score 19 runs, you're going to have a lot, right? I said it in the introduction. I believe that this is the, by far, the week that we have the most nominees for hitters of the week. We have six. (laughs) We have six. My goodness. In April, I couldn't even find one person that was valid, uh, you know, worthy of having this title for the week. Now we have six. OPS is on base plus slugging. Anything over 800 is above average. This week the Marlins have six people over 810 and five over 917. The first one is Harold hitting Harold Ramirez. Average 429. He's gone on base 48% of the time. His slugging's almost at 600. His OPS is over 1,000. He has nine hits over those six games. Three doubles. He's walked twice, has four RBIs. This is, you know, he's, he's showing us who he is, okay? He's showing us what we've seen this entire year. Harold, hitting Harold, can hit. If he didn't get it from the name. He's going to continue to hit. Will he be able to continue hitting enough to stop a Jesus Sanchez and a Monte Harrison and others from taking his job? We'll see. But there's no question the hitting Harold can put bat to ball, and he's shown it this week. Brian Anderson, before he got hurt again, uh, you know, fracture to his hand, he'll probably be out for the rest of this year, was hitting 375, getting on base almost 500% of the time, 47% of the time, slugging 500 OPS just under 1,000 at 974. Six hits, two doubles, two walks, four Ks, exactly like Harold. Yeah, Brian Anderson is <sighs> Brian Anderson's the best player on this team. We, you know, eventually over the, the next month, I'll be having an off-season special where I'm going to talk about what the Marlins should be looking at, what the Marlins should be looking to uh, succeed in the off-season. And you better believe it. I'll give you two seconds. What do you think is the first thing I'm going to say? Extend Brian Anderson. The first conversation is going to be extend Brian Anderson. This injury changes nothing. Nothing. Extend Brian Anderson. George Alfaro is our third guy. He loves hitting against the Phillies, man. I'll tell you what. 350, 40% on base, 550, OPS of 931. He even took a walk this week. Unicorn, he even took a walk this week. (laughs) George Alfaro was, I mean, he did. He had a good week. It's why his numbers are career best right now. But it's just nice to see. He added a home run in there as well. Then we have some older players. We had a good mix here. We had a good mix of Young and Harold and Anderson, uh, you know, and B.A. and and Alfaro. And we have a few veterans Starlin Castro continues to shove. I, uh, it's, it's a, it's. I guess some will say it's a shame he didn't do it before the trade deadline, and I, I agree with that sentiment because then they could have gotten something for him. And quite frankly, for him, he would probably be on a playoff team right now, chasing something that has always evaded him his entire career. 
But since the playoff or since the trade deadline, he has been on fire, and he continued it this week, hitting over 300. His OPS is over 900, uh, two homers, I think 10 RBI. It just, uh, it's fantastic to see. And, and I'll say this. I've never met Starlin Castro in person. There are some of these players that I've met once, multiple times. I've never met Starlin. Uh, so I don't have any personal stories with him. But he made a fan out of me for the rest of his career, uh, not even because of his on-field performance, but because of the way that he's handled Isan Diaz, a man that literally directly came for his job and shoved him to third base. Isan Diaz does something good. The first person on the top step to congratulate him is Starlin. Isan Diaz commits three errors in a game or three errors over the span of two games. The first person to console him at the dugout is Starlin. Oh, he hits a game-tying three-run home run to right field with the ridiculous, <laughs> fantastic batting stance and bat drop. The first one to jump over the rail is Starlin. The, the fact that Starlin has taken this young man under his wing has shown me everything that I ever had to know about Starlin without even meeting him. And I'm happy that he is finishing his year the way that he is. Neil Walker's also been a great signing. He's had he's had a good season as well. Over the last week, almost hitting 400, which is just ridiculous. He's hitting 381. He has not taken any walks, so his on-base percentage is also 381. And his slugging is sitting around 430 with an OPS about 8, 810. He has eight hits. Most of them have been singles. He only has one double. But the reality is that he's getting on base, whether it's a single or not. And he's been a good leader around the clubhouse. Neil is someone that I've been able to meet and discuss baseball with. Uh, and he's he's just he's a stand-up guy. He was excited to be here. He was excited to be a leader on this team. He's also someone that I wish would have been traded so that he could have been in a playoff push. I would have loved for these veterans to get that playoff push. You know, they did their job here. They helped the kids. They helped the young upcoming men uh, and prospects. It would have been nice for, for him to get his uh, his desire I'm not sure if he wanted to go to a playoff push, but I'm sure every player has that competitive drive within him. Nonetheless, it's still it's still nice to see. And then the sixth candidate is, is John Birdie. I mean, you know, you remember Don Bleeping Murphy? I really believe that, yeah, if Rich Waltz and Tommy Hutt were still in the broadcast booth, we would have a John Bleeping Birdie. <laughs> it, it just works well. And he just keeps hitting. 286, getting on base almost 40% of the time, slugging. 571. He has two homers over the last week. OPS 946. John Birdie continues to be the bracket buster. I made the joke that we all have these projected lineups for 2020 and 2021. John Birdie is your 16 seed that upsets, uh, upsets the number one and just breaks everyone's bracket, breaks everyone's projected lineup because whether it's in center field or left field or shortstop, the man hits. It doesn't matter what position he's in. He's going to hit when he steps up to the plate and he's going to continue pushing other people around him. He's a journeyman. He's been in different places. He made his debut with the Marlins, but he's been throughout many minor league uh, systems, through many tour, through many buses. I'm sure he doesn't want, and he's not in any hurry to go back to the minors. So he's going to say, oh, you're a top 100 prospect? Come get it. Oh, you're a veteran who thinks you're better than me. You just signed for a lot of money here. Come get it. That's that's what's going to happen. And honestly, I'm kind of rooting for John Fleep, Bleep and Birdie. Because I understand, I, I understand that he's the underdog. I understand that people are coming for him. And you know what? In my projections, it's what bites everyone who has a busted bracket. I'm still not penciling him in the lineup. For my projections for 2020 and 2021, he's still not there. But he's proven me wrong so far. We'll see if he proves me wrong when the time comes. This week gave us a nice mix of what I what I already said, which was the youth and, and the veteran. We would have loved to have seen this throughout the year, and we did for certain months. And it's hopefully what we see in September. It's hopefully hopefully it's something that we continue to see in September. We continue to get good baseball. You know, they won the series against the Phillies. They played good ball against the Braves, regardless of the outcomes of those of those games. The hope is that the Marlins fans that have listened and the Marlins fans that know what to look for now and in great detail, whether it's with Pablo Lopez and the three C's, whether it's what specific minor leaguers might get called up, Jose Urania, whatever the case is, my hope is you also get entertaining baseball. Because the reality is that I believe that's what's coming. I hope we get a glimpse of it in September because come March and April 2020, it's going to be here. I don't want you to pretend or feel like you didn't see it coming. The fish are not going to be world beaters in 2020, but, oh, they're going to be exciting. You're not going to have wasted at-bats. You're not going to have wasted outings and appearances on the mound. Every single person that takes up the ball and takes up the bat and walks up to the batter's box is going to have a purpose and is going to be fighting for their job. Because if there's one word that I can give you for 2020, it's competitive. 
I, I might not see it. You might not see it yet in the standings, in the win-loss in 2020. Oh, but it's competitive because there's going to be a top five farm system coming for your job. Every single position with maybe a few exceptions like an Alfaro and like a Diaz, but even with a Diaz, a shortstop can transition over. Every single position has someone better or t- highly touted or more known coming behind you. Gary Cooper gets comfortable, meet Lewin Diaz. Lewis Brinson or John Birdie, whoever wants to be in the outfield, meet a myriad of, of players that are coming up in a J.J. Blade, in a Monte Harrison, in a Cameron Meisner, in a Connor Scott, even in a Victor Victor Mesa, in a Jesus Sanchez. Shortstop? You already know. Jazz Chisholm. Osiris Johnson when he gets healthy. Jose Devers. The only person who should feel comfortable on opening day 2020 is Brian, please extend him, Anderson. Maybe George Alfaro. Oh, the best unit on the team? Well, that's the pitching staff. They're not going to be comfortable either. Yeah, I know that you had a nice little top 13 pitching staff last year, but do you know who I am? I'm, I'm Sixto Sanchez. I'm the future ace. I'm Edward Cabrera. I throw 100. I'm Trevor Rogers. I'll get you sleeping on the curveball, and then I'll throw 96 past you. Braxton Garrett, nice to meet you. I'm coming for your spot. 2020 is going to be competitive, not only because of the wins-losses, maybe even aside from the wins-losses, but because every single game, you're going to get someone that's fighting for their job. And the last time that you can say that in the Marlins era was never. Maybe 1993 when they were coming in. That last core didn't get more than 75 wins because no one was coming for them. Because pitching wasn't coming. Because outfield talent wasn't coming. That's changing in 2020. Competitive is the word. In September, we get a glimpse. As always, guys, you know that I love you. I really do. Ask my wife. Matter of fact, I've recorded this twice today because the first time I didn't even record. I love doing this and I love you guys, but I always am going to even more love the feedback. I love the rights. I love the wrongs. Let me know. Talk to me. Tell me what you want to hear. Give me the advice. Leave the review. Whatever the case is, it's a labor of love for the reason, but I want to make it the best that I can for you. So, with that said, I hope you enjoyed. I hope you learned something today. I hope you know what to look forward to in September. I love you, and go fish.